Welcome to the Potter's House North podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by today's message. We are the church of the living God. That's what I talked about last week. And I want to go back today. I, I, I know I called it last week, keeping it real. And I'm going to pick, on that, pick up on that today. And we're going back into Acts chapter 2. And we're going to call this, keeping it real, part 2. Okay? And we're going to talk about being the church that God has called us to be. And I want you to follow along and I want you to help me preach. I think, I think you can holler loud enough today that I'll be able to hear you from your house into this house. Uh, but I'm going to drop some nuggets today and I want you to catch them. They're handfuls on purpose and they will help you understand better what the purpose of God going forward is for your life. Many people are searching, they're longing and they're saying, what is it that God wants me to do? Well, he wants you to be the church and I'm going to leave you some nuggets today on being the church. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the plan. I thank you for the vision. I thank you, God, that you chose us to live in this crazy time that we're living in, to have made it this far. Lord, it makes us wake up with the praise. It makes us know that if we've survived everything we've survived, that you do have an intention for our lives. And we thank you for it. May your word feed us today. May it feed every man, every woman, every hurting person, every broken person. Say something, God, and ricochet around the world, Lord, so that people will feel your glory and feel your touch. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Somebody holla amen right where you are. I talked about, I talked about keeping it real last week because uh, I, I mentioned that there are there are a lot of things that are done in the name of the Lord in, in, in the, in, you know, people are always saying we're doing this in his name and we're doing that. And, and I think that sometimes God would look down and say, are you, are you serious? You, you really think that you're doing that in my name? And so, uh, I wanted to just, just look into that a little bit. And we went to the book of Acts because, um, Acts is where the church was birthed, and I some, there's something about going back to the original state of a thing that helps you to understand its purpose, its mission, and its destiny, and many times we can veer off course of the initial intention of God, and so it does us good to go back. And just to look and see what happened at the birthing of the early church. Last, last week I gave you uh, four, I believe it was four points that marked uh, the very beginning of the church. And I'm just for as a way of refreshing those, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give those to you right now. The first, um, the first thing that marked the, the original, the early church in the book of Acts was that they had supernatural power. And I said last week that the reason that they had supernatural power was because they did not only talk about God, but they were a people that experienced God. There is something to be said at having an experience with God. You can talk about him all day long, but when you experience God, it does something completely different in your life. And so as a result of their experience uh, with God and their uh, time in the presence of God, 
they they were they were known uh, as people that had the supernatural power of God. And when you take time to be with God and spend time in His presence and spend time in His Word, uh, then God will touch your life with supernatural power. The second thing that marked the early church, the the, the real Christians, the real believers is they had a multi-channel of communication. They, they all spoke in their own language, uh, proving to us, even to this day, that the gospel is not just what, for one particular person or one particular tribe or one particular language of people. The gospel is, is everywhere and it is for everybody. And that is, that is important for us to know. We all uh, can speak in our own language language and as we speak in our as, as they did in the upper room as they all began to speak in their own language people understood one another and they got the good news which is the gospel of Jesus Christ the third thing that that the early church was great at at modeling and what what they were marked by is that everybody used their gifts and everybody used their talents so in other words there was a the church was was full of servant leaders it wasn't just people that came to hear one person talk but if they had a gift they found a way to plug in and they found a way to use that gift they didn't just pitch the mic to the platform and say here preacher you make it happen everybody in the church used what God had given them because everybody in the church church is accountable for the gifts and, and the abilities that God has given to us. And then I ended up closing last week with the fourth uh, thing that marked the church and that, and that marked real Christianity. Uh, it was the fact that it offered life-changing truth, life-changing truth. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not just talking about the kind of, of message that you hear and you get inspired, but nothing ever changes in your life. I'm talking about a, a truth that converts your life, a truth that transforms your life, a truth that will take who you are and, 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 and what you have become as a result of, of sin, as a result of missing the mark, and it will change you. It'll take an angry man and turn him into a kind man. It will take a sinful, angry woman and turn her into a woman uh, who has the touch of God on her life. The church offered them truth, real truth, not just self-help therapy, not just uh, words of comfort, not just words of, 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 oh, you can do this, words that, that would motivate them. No, the church offered them words of truth. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that you shall know the truth and it is the truth that shall make you free. I'm talking about a truth that causes you to understand that your past is forgiven that you have purpose right here in the right now and now and that Christ has also secured your future he has secured your past he's he's covered your past he's made a way in your presence and he has also covered your future who else can give you that what 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 other teaching can you go and get that you can't go anywhere and get that you get that from a God who is the same yesterday today and forever he is a God that's got you covered 
covered. No other message changes lives like the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So here in, now we're all caught up, okay? So here in Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking and he, he gives us the very first sermon that was, ever, let me say it like this, he gave us the very first Christian sermon and he gave it on the very first day that the very first church was born. And it begins in verse, uh, his sermon begins in verse 14 and it goes all, all the way in through verse 40, 41, 42. And so I want to encourage you, I'm not going to read it all to you today, but I want you to make sure that you take time this, re this week and read through Peter's sermon because it's very powerful and it's very applicable to what we are to do and to be today. But I want to pick up at verse 14 where the Bible says, I'm reading out of the NIV, Peter address the crowd there there was a crowd there and there was some uh some onlookers and there was some people who were not in in the move that was happening and they began to speculate and they began to critique and they began to find fault and peter addressed that crowd and he said fellow jews and all of you who live in jerusalem let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people, they are not drunk as ye suppose because it's only nine in the morning. He goes on down into verse 16 and he says, they're not drunk as ye suppose. He said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In verse 19, he said, I will show wonders in heavens, in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. And then he says in verse 21, and everyone that day who called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is telling those onlookers, he said, this looks crazy to you, I, I understand, but this is not crazy. This is not just, just some kind of a new thing. He said, this is something that was declared by God out of the mouth of the prophet Joel. So the first question then is, who is Joel? Well, Joel is a prophet of God. His story, actually his book is in the Old Testament. And there is, I believe it's only like three chapters long. So you ought to go and, and you ought to read Joel's book so that whenever you get to heaven, you don't say, hey, Joel, don't walk up to you and say, hey, did you enjoy my book? And you'll be like, oh yes, that was a great book. And you didn't even read it. So make sure that you read the book of Joel. There's only three, uh, there's only three chapters in there, but they are very powerful because in it, Joel prophesied hundreds of years earlier what was going to happen happen on the day of Pentecost, which is where we're reading at today out of Acts chapter 2. Joel said there's going to be signs, there's going to be miracles, there's going to be wonders. And so when Peter gets up and he begins to speak in the middle of all of the outpouring of God's spirit, Peter says, hey guys, hey, let me tell y'all something. What's going on right here, right now? He's saying, this is that. This is that. What, 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 what Joel was talking about back then, this is what that is. This is the outpouring. And as a result of God's presence and as a result of Peter's message and as a result of Joel's prophecy, the Bible said, 
on that day that we're reading about, the day of Pentecost, there were, oh, there were 3,000 souls that were added to the church. They were added to the church of God. And now the church, now here it is on its first day, on the, the first day of the birthing of the church, the church has become a mega church on its very first day. It was about 25 years later, uh, the church at Jerusalem moved from just having 3,000 to now it's got over 100,000 members. And let me tell you why that's significant. Because it was illegal at that point to be a Christian. How in the world did they grow like they grew? Well, they grew because they devoted themselves to grow themselves. They devoted themselves to the gospel of the apostles. They, they devoted themselves to the word of God. And, and, and they, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What, what is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching is the actual word of God. And anytime anybody decides to devote themselves to God or to devote, them, to devote themselves to the truth that is in his word, you will grow. You will absolutely grow when you decide to devote yourself to God and his word. So the early church, they modeled supernatural power. They modeled, uh, modeled a multi-channel uh, communication, which was everyone using their language. Uh, everybody, number three, they used their gifts. Number four, uh, they, they lived lives that were changed by the truth of the word of God. And the fifth thing that the early church did was uh, that they, they modeled for us that real Christianity loves and supports each other. I'm gonna give you a second to write that down. Real Christianity, we're keeping it real today. So real Christianity, here's a mark that you are a real Christian is that you love and you support others who are part of the family of God. Um, and that, that's very, that, that was very, uh, that was very important because I said to you a moment ago, being a Christian back then was illegal and, and they were killed. They were put in the lion's den and, and the lions would devour them. This was all at the hands uh, of those of the Roman Empire. And so what they did was as believers, they banded together and they cared for one another and they supported one another. They absolutely loved each other and they built what we would call today a support team, a support group, or a support network that helped each other get through the toughest times of their life. Now, that's what we would call it today, a support network, but, but what they called it back then was a simple word that was called fellowship. Now, fellowship does not mean that that we just hang out with each other and, and we have a good time. What fellowship really means, it, it, it's, it's koinonia. It means that, that we are committed to one another, okay? It's not this haphazard connection. It's, it's not that. It's that we, we are committed to one another. When you hurt, I hurt. Uh, when you're in need, I'm in need. I can't, I, I can't just move on and act like I don't know what's going on 
on with you because it affects me. And, and, and so that's the way they were. They were, they were committed one to another with a commitment that we don't always see today. Uh, like we were, we were being modeled, uh, to by the early church. And I think it's important that we get back to the fact that, that we are committed to one another. Why is that important? Because, uh, one of the commandments that God gave us was that we were to love him with all of our heart. But then he said, you, you are to love one another as, as you love yourself. And so it's imperative that we love one another in Acts chapter two and verse 42, the Bible says that they spent their time in learning from the apostles and, and talk and taking part in fellowship and sharing in the fellowship meals with one another. And they also shared in prayers. The, the contemporary English version says this. It says they spent their time learning from the apostles and, 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 they, and they were like family to one another. I love that. It says they were, they were like family to one another over and over again. If you search throughout scripture, you will see where the church is called a family. We are the family of God for, for years. I grew up in the church all of my life and I grew up in one of those churches where, uh, we called the, 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 the older people, uh, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. It's kind of funny to hear people do that today, but that's what, that's what the, that they didn't just, we didn't just stumble upon that. That's, that's what the Bible talked about. We were brothers and we were sisters. Oh, even when, when I first married my, my husband, uh, uh, his his father was my pastor before he was my husband and his father went by the title of brother Brady and so once I, I married him married Bishop I didn't know what to call his dad it kind of sounded a little bit weird just to walk around and say hey brother Brady or hey sister Brady but that's just what we did and that's what I've called him for years and years because that's that's who they are to me they are family and so uh, I don't know if y'all grew up like that but that's kind of how we grew up Why why, why did we do that? Because we are family. You are my brother. You are my sister. And so because we are family, what does a family do? A family loves each other. A family cares for each other. A family will get in each other's business. A family will check you. A family will defend they might fight you. Uh, you know, I might fight my sister, but don't you come after my sister because then if you come after my sister, I'm going to have to fight you because that's what a real family does. They, they defend one another. They're not sitting there with ear, itchy ears to, to hear somebody say something negative about somebody. They are sitting there and when they first hear something, they immediately go to defend one another. Why? Because we are part of the family and if you tear down my family then you are tearing down me and so we have we fight for one another those back then in the bible days that hated christianity they thought that the those at the upper room they thought the early church they thought they were crazy. They thought they were fanatics. They thought they were weird and they thought that they were cultish. But one thing that they clearly understood about those people were that they sure did love 
one another. And the one thing that impressed the Roman Empire was not necessarily about how smart they were, but the one thing that impressed the Roman Empire was how much these people loved each other. Nobody in the Roman Empire loved like the Christians did. And that love attracted other people. That was part of how that they would grow. They would attract each other by love. And when a church, hear me church, when we as a church genuinely love each other, it will attract people. It's not all about the preacher. It's not all about, oh, we have a phenomenal preacher in our church. I've seen some of the biggest churches in the world that didn't always have the most phenomenal preacher, but they had genuine love among the saints. And people would put up with a pre preacher who may not be the greatest just because they wanted to be amongst the family where they felt genuinely loved. You know why? Because people are searching for love. The, the, the song said they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's exactly what's happening. But as the church comes together and as the church becomes the church and doesn't just come to church, then we model the love of Jesus Christ. And there's something about that that attracts people. People are tired of phony. I said people are tired of phony. They're tired of sitting in a bar or sitting in a club or sitting somewhere at a table around people that they might say are so-called friends. They might, be, uh, they, they might be somewhere drinking it up and chatting it up with people and they act like they're, they're trying to portray that they are having fun. But the truth of the matter is they're not having as much fun as they're trying to tell to make you believe that they are. For the most part, what they are experiencing is fake and phony uh, fellowship, I guess. It's just, it's, it's people that come together and, and they don't really, they don't, they don't have a real love. It's hard to have that real love when you don't have Christ who is love on the inside of you. Now, let me say as a disclaimer right here that some people will carry that spirit that is in the world over into the church and, and they'll bring that phony love into the church and, and, and you stand out like a sore thumb because when you have, when you have been trained on what is real, you, you begin to recognize what is not real. And, and so people will bring that in here and they'll bring it into other churches and they'll bring it into the body of Christ and, and, and they'll plant seeds of hate and seeds against a, a trouble and, and they'll, they'll just do all that they can to divide and to separate. That's when you know somebody has the wrong spirit, when they try to divide and they try to separate the body of Christ, when they try to sow seeds of discord. If there's anything that God hates, it is those seeds of discord. And, and whenever people start doing that, it's just a sign that the genuine love of God is not in them. Because for me, I would rather walk away than try to prove my point because I'm not going to sow seeds of discord because you destroy your own blessing when you do things like that. Uh, and, and, and periodically though, there'll be people that come in and do it. And, and, and here's 
what, but here's what I want you to know. At the root of the church, at the core of the real church, they are genuine. The real church is family. The real church genuinely loves each other. The real church, well, I got the worst church hurt in my life when I was a part of, of, of this particular church or that particular church. Let me tell you something. Don't blame that on the church. Just blame that on people because sometimes people can be ornery. But the truth of the matter is the church that God is building is made up of a people that love like Jesus and they care like Jesus and they want to serve people like Jesus would do. And if you have a genuine love down in your heart, there is something that makes you want to help those that are among you that might be hurting. Why? Because we need one another and we love one another and we want to be there to help one another and we want to be there for one another when we go through things in life that, that, that rock our world. Um, and you know what, that, that's, that's pretty much, um, that's pretty much a Christ-like characteristic because whenever Jesus would come in contact, uh, with a person, he would give them three things. He would give them, write this down because this is important. He would give them three things. He would give them a look. He would give them a word and he would give them a touch. He would give them a look, he would give them a word, and he would give them a touch. All three of those things are powerful. And all three of those things are what human beings are in need of. Whenever somebody talks to you as the church, as a, as a believer in the body of Christ, as a real Christian, when people talk to you, make sure that you look at them. Don't just blow it off. Think about Jesus as busy as he was. He took time to look people in the eye. He took time to give them, uh, he took time to give them words of encouragement. There, there ought to be a well of words of encouragement that are in, inside of you. If you don't have any, get the, the, the uh, thesaurus out and start filling yourself with the words of encouragement. Look up the word encouragement and find out. Find five or six or 10 or 15 or 20 other words that mean the same thing so that when you can go up to people, you can talk their language. And you can encourage them out of this. Nothing like a good word in season of encouragement. People can talk you out of all kinds of trouble and anxiety and pressure and fear and dread and hopelessness by simply giving you a word of encouragement. Look in the Bible for all of the times that the word of encouragement went forward. Give people a look in their eyes. Give them a word of encouragement and give them as times get safer out here give them a touch of affirmation. People are in need of a touch. There are people today that are sitting at home. They've been isolated. They've been quarantined for months now. And what they would give if they could just give somebody a hug. Listen, I didn't know that the last person I hugged before we walked out of this building in March of last year, I didn't know that they would have to live on that hug for a year. I didn't know that. So we don't just do things haphazardly. We reach out and we touch people. Now you can't just go out and touch everybody because 
This is the, the culture that we're living in right now. Uh, but when it's all said and done, people need a human touch. I was reading earlier today uh, about the royal family and about Prince Charles and, and what he, one of the things that he said that he has missed in this quarantine was he's missed hugs, how he would have taken that for granted. Lord, help us to never take for granted whether we are receiving or whether we are giving that hug because we are made to need people's touch. We are made for that pat on the back that affirms us, that allows us to understand that we are important to one another. And, and, and all of that is, is just affirmations of, of love. And that's what people are doing. People will flock to a church that will show that they genuinely love them. And because of the genuine love and the touch and the attention that the early church gave to one another, they grew, they grew exponentially. Why? Because they provided a place where people could love and be loved, where they could support and where they could be supported. The sixth thing that the early church was great at modeling was they were great at modeling joyful worship. Whew. Yeah, and y'all thought we were the ones that were great at just enjoying our worship. There's, there's some churches that just enjoy worshiping God and other people are like, I can't believe we're standing this long or we're singing this long or we're singing this song this long. But this is part of the church. This is what we do. Worship is a joyful thing. Worship is a moment of celebration. It is a party for God. It is a party for the God that we love and that we serve. And when it is joyful, people want to be a part of that. I know that you have missed, many of you have missed coming into the sanctuary and just worshiping and dancing and rejoicing and looking at each other's expression. Uh, and, and, but the truth is, is that we need that. And that's what, that's real worship when you enjoy it. It should not be something that we dread. It should be something that we enjoy and people will come where there's real joy. Why? Because they're starving for real joy. They're starving for that and, and and they are looking for the good news they are looking for the gospel listen the people can come to they can come into a building that they can they can hear bad news all day long they can turn the radio on they can turn the tv on they can just listen to one of their co-workers and before long somebody is giving us a bad report but the good news of the gospel whether it's through preaching whether it's through music whether it's through singing it is what brings people joy. I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. And TPHND is a joyful church. We are a rejoicing church. You know why? Because we are a grateful church and we are filled with gratitude. And gratitude will be, gratitude releases joy. And it is the joy of the Lord that is my strength. I've said it before and I'll always say it. One of the reasons that worship is important to me is because as I release worship God releases joy and it is that joy that gives me strength so worship is what makes us strong I said real worship is what not just song service I'm talking about real worship is what makes us strong and real Christianity has got 
to have real strength. I said real. Christianity has got to model real strength, not phony strength, not strength that says, oh, I'm just trying to be strong. I'm talking about strength that comes out of your gut that you don't even know that you had late in the midnight hour when you could be crying and you could be worrying. There's something in you that rises up and said, oh, absolutely not. I refuse to sit here and, and, and believe every lie that the enemy is trying to tell me. I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus, and I'm going back to sleep because I'm going to tell you something. It's going to take more than that to stop this one right here because I know God. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that that God is able. He is my rock. He is my shield. He is everything to me, my strong tower, my peace. And it is in worshiping him that the weak become strong. Real strength. Acts 2 and 46 says to us, they worship together regularly this is good they worship together regularly at the temple courts they worship together each day and they met in small groups they met in homes for communion and they shared their meals and how did they do that with great joy and thankfulness so the first church they met they they met from going from house to house. They met in, in different places, in different buildings. Actually, for the first 300 years, there was no such thing as a church building. My, how, how important they are today. But for the early church, the early church, uh, they met in temple courts. They met in one another's houses. They met uh, in parks. They met in secret. They met in places where they, where they could hide because it was illegal and they were persecuting those who would call themselves Christians. And so they knew that, that going to church meant that they might lose their life. And so instead of putting an emphasis on the building, instead of putting an emphasis on going to the church, they put the emphasis on being the church. And yet in spite of the fact that their lives were on the line, they worshiped together. And here's how they worship. They worship with great joy and thankfulness. My question to you today is if you knew your life was on the line, if you lifted up your hands and said hallelujah, could you do it with joy? Could you do it with gratitude? Could you do it in spite of the fact that your life was at risk? If somebody said, I'm going to take your child if you worship God, could you lift up your hands and say, Lord, I worship you? That's the perseverance. That's the tenacity that the early church had. They worship God. God, and they gave God worship and they were happy to give him worship. And the, and the, the one, and, and let me say this, the one thing that it, it, it brought them happiness, but I'm going to tell you what else it did. It, it wasn't just the happiness. It was joy because you can have happiness if you have things happening, but there is a joy that you can get in worship that you don't get when you just have things that are happening. Happening. How could they joyfully uh, worship and praise God under the pressure that they were under? I'll tell you how they were able to do that. Because they were wired to worship. You, my brothers and my sisters, you are wired to worship. We have been wired.
weird. We've been put together. That's our making. That's how, that's how we're made up. We're wired to worship. And, and if you don't worship at the church, if you don't worship with the saints, if you don't worship God, some people will worship at a rock concert. Some people will worship uh, artists. Some people will worship idols. Some people will worship a habit. Some people worship an addiction. Some people will worship drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography. They will worship money. They will worship all these false gods. You know why? Because we're wired to worship. But let me tell you something. It is so much better to worship a God that can help you than it is to worship a God that cannot help you. And today, Jesus Christ is the one that can help you. It makes so much more sense to give your adoration and your praise to God because he is the one that can help. Now, there are other things in life that might bring you momentarily, uh, bring you happiness. But I'm going to tell you something. They cannot give you joy. Joy is something that the, the world can't give to you. And guess what? The world cannot take it away. Happiness is okay. But like I said, it's related to things happening in your life. And when nothing is happening, joy can still be bubbling up inside of you like a river. Why? Because our past is forgiven. We understand that our purpose is, is, is alive and it is present. And we understand that God has promised us that he would secure us eternally in our home in heaven. But let me tell you something. Other people don't understand why we get emotional when we worship because we are grateful. We are grateful that God has secured us in our past, in our present, and in our future. And if my worship makes you, bothers you, then you need to just flip the channel or you need to move or you need to do something because I just don't understand how in the world he can be everything to you and you have no expression out here I will bless the Lord at all times and I just can't help it because I'm wired to worship I said somebody put that in the comments today I am wired to worship and it, it will be to God that I give my worship to I'm wired so the next time somebody looks at you crazy because you're worshiping God Tell them, hey, I'm, I'm wired for this. And whenever I, whenever I know my purpose and whenever I feel God's presence, I can't help it because worship is the secondary consequence of me feeling God's presence and of me knowing which way I should go and what I should do. Have you ever just found yourself, God, God, God did something for you that other people would just think, well, that was nothing. But you find yourself saying, oh, God, I want to thank you. I just want to thank you. Has he ever blessed you so big that you picked up the phone to call somebody and tell him, and you're like, mm, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe they, they will never understand. But God, I understand, and I thank you. I, you know why? I'm wired to worship. You know what David said? David said, you have shown me the path of life. And in your presence, he said, there is fullness of joy if for nothing else I worship because he's shown me the path for my life and so Peter picks up in Acts 2 and 26 and he says because of this my heart will be glad my words will be joyful and I will live 
in hope. And I am praying that God will just restore it for somebody that's listening to me this morning. I'm praying that God will restore the J factor in your life. What is the J factor? That he will just, that he will restore the joy factor. Why is that important? Why is that? Why does that matter, Pastor Brady? Because the, 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 he is the joy of my salvation. And you need your joy. And if life has robbed you of your joy, if your circumstances have, because we've been through a lot, but you, if, if, if everything you've been through has started eating away at your joy, I pray restoration for you right now. I pray that you not lose the joy of your salvation, your complete deliverance, spirit, soul, and body. I pray that the joy of the Lord be your strength. Because when the joy of, your, of the Lord is your strength, you can look at things around you that might be falling apart. And if you didn't have joy, and if all you had was happiness, you could be disillusioned and you could throw in the towel and quit. But when you have joy, you look at those things and you say, it's all right. Because if God wants it, he can take it. That just simply means he's gotten something better for me. And so I'd have joy. And I'm telling you, if you'll cry out to God right now, if you'll cry out to him and ask him, he will restore the joy of your salvation. If you'll willingly worship him. That is the mark that the early church had. In spite of everything that came their way, they worshiped the Lord with joy. My last point is this. The seventh thing that marked, not that this is all that there is, but it's what I'm going to give you today. The seventh thing that marked the early church was that they always made generous sacrifices. The early church always made generous sacrifices. And real, real Christians, believers that keep it real, real Christianity, it will always make generous sacrifices. The Christians of the Roman Empire era, uh, they were the most generous people in the entire Roman Empire. In fact, they were famous at being generous. Oh, I'm tell you something about them. They took care of one another. They took care of the poor. They were there for one another. If there was a need among them, they were there to help one another. They literally shared their belongings. If, if I have a loaf of bread and you don't have any bread, then I'll share my bread with you. And when you get a loaf of bread, you'll share your bread with me. They found ways to meet each other's needs. They would sell their land and take whatever money they made and they would give it to help whoever it was that was in need. There's no way in the world that they would see one another in need and not make an attempt to meet that need. Well, Pastor Brady, that sounds like communism. 
Well, not really. Because communism is where you say, what's yours is mine. And I have a right to take it and I'm going to tax it. And I'm going to distribute it to everybody that I want to distribute it to. It's called forced charity. I take it from you. Capitalism says, what's mine is mine. And I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to protect it. Because it all belongs to me. But can I tell you what Christianity says? Christianity says, what's mine is really God's. And therefore, because it's not really mine and it's really God's, I will be happy to share what I have with you. And this is done voluntarily. It's done out of love. It's done generously. And it's done sacrificially. They shared their possessions. When I say they, they shared their possessions, I'm not just talking about money. They shared whatever each other had need of. They shared their food. We just read about it. They shared insight. They shared encouragement. They shared hope. If they knew one or the other was down, they would pick, and listen, they'd pick up the phone. That's what you would do today. But they would find a way to take the words of encouragement that were inside of them and reach out to them and say, hey, hey, you got to make it. You understand? Listen, you're going to be fine. Your family's going to be fine. I'm praying for you. Our God is a keeper. He will keep us in perfect peace if we keep our mind stayed on him. I'm praying for you. I love you. I need you to survive. I dare you to believe God because we are believing God for you. Hold on. Hold out because help is on the way. Our God sits high. Our God looks low. He is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning He's the end. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. They didn't have to beg bread because they took care of one another. And they did what they did according to verse 46 with great joy and great generosity. And the more generous you are, the more joyful you are. I said, the more generous you are, the more joyful you are. And the more joyful you are, the more generous you are. It's like a pathology. It's like the more I give, the more God gives. The more needs I meet, the more he calls as my needs to be met. And I, it's just a cycle. And I'm going to tell you something, Potter's House North. As I've watched you give, throughout this entire pandemic, as I've watched you sacrifice, I've watched you, some of you sacrificed vacations, some of you have sacrificed new laptops, some of you have sacrificed putting a roof on your house, some of you have sacrificed so many things so that you could just say, you know what, I gotta be able to give God what belongs to God. I've gotta bless my church. As you've done that, and when, when, when I've seen you do that, that has so blessed me that whenever I hear a need or whenever I see a need or whenever I know about a need that I believe would move your heart in your stead, 
I say, here, we're going to meet that need. We're going to meet the need over here. We're going to meet the need over there. And, and everything that this church has done throughout this pandemic is because even though we could not come into the church, we were determined to be the church. You were determined to be the church by sharing what you had. And as it came into this house, we knew better than to just let it sit here in this house when there were needs all around us. There's something about that that's real ministry. When you take what you have, whether, whether it's little or whether it's much, and you say, let me help meet the needs of those around us. Something about that is real ministry. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Generosity, you know what it really is? It's just love in action. It's the gospel in action. And you don't, try, you don't try to find places that you can give it that you know will give back to you. At this point, you're just giving it. You're meeting the needs because you want people to know, hey, God is real. He heard your cry. He heard your groan. He pitied every groan that you made. And look at God. He sent us to help stabilize you in an unstable time. That is the gospel, my friends. That is what God has called us to do. It's not about us sitting up in a beautiful church with beautiful stage, with beautiful instruments and beautiful singers and lights and all of that. We have had an opportunity throughout 2020 and 2021 to actually be the church. And I'm going to tell you something. I am committed to forever being the church because if God wasn't loving us, we wouldn't have nothing anyway. We would have nothing. But because he loved us and he gave, we owe him everything. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you join us online every Sunday morning at 9 and 11.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. Streaming live at www.tphnd.org watch now or through our Potter's House North app.